Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for your giving. Merry Christmas, everyone. Turn to two or three people and wish them a very merry, merry, merry Christmas. Amen, amen. So good to see everyone. Hope you have been warmly greeted and welcomed today at Victory Church on this Sunday in December, the last Sunday before Christmas. Next Sunday's the 26th, so it'll be the day after, and uh, it's amazing how the season has come, and 2021 is, is almost over, entering into 2022. But thank God we have a God who is still on the throne, God who's still in control, still loves us, still in, bids us to come and challenges us to walk in faith. And uh, we, we learn how to walk in faith or we grow in our faith through the scriptures. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Um, I've entitled my message, When Your Christmas Needs Grace. When Your Christmas Needs Grace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is not a traditional Christmas passage, but it encapsulizes the message of Christmas or the real uh, significance biblically of who Jesus was. The word of God tells us, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty, might become rich. Can we pray one more time before we open up the scriptures? We realize that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to um, really understand the word of God, that, that it would come alive in our heart and our spirit and we would see them for the spiritual realities that they are. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for each and every person that is here this morning, those that are watching Online, we pray for the revelation, the opening up of our eyes, our ears, our heart to spiritually grasp, to spiritually perceive eternal truths. God, we thank you that you've given us the revelation. We thank you, God, that your word is anointed, that our ears are anointed to hear, that our hearts are receptive this morning. God, that you're going to change our lives once again through the word of God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The word grace is a significant word in the scriptures. Many people, when they hear uh, the word grace, you can think of different things. For some, it could be used uh, to describe the way one carries themselves. For another, it can be what we, the prayer we pray, and still others, someone could be named grace. Do we have any grace here? Yes, right in the front row. Good morning, Grace. But Christmas is all about grace, a different kind of grace. The gospel message, the Christmas story, is about God's grace and unmerited favor to you and I. There are many deep uh, theological definitions for the word grace. Some of you have heard of the acrostic for the word grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, God's abundant provision, his riches, his storehouse of blessing in heaven are given to you, but it was at Christ's expense. It was the suffering that he endured on the cross to pay for our sins, to provide you and I all of the blessings that we could enjoy today. Someone else has described grace as God giving everything in exchange for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Another theologian said it is spontaneous unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners. Grace is God giving us a gift we could never earn or deserve. Grace is God giving us a gift we could never earn it and we would we could we would never fully deserve it. There are a few other biblical terms that I'd like to just tie into this to give you a better understanding. Justice, biblical justice is getting what we deserve. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Eventually, without forgiveness, without the grace of God, our sins will cause physical death and ultimately spiritual death, which is separation from God. That would be justice. Mercy would be not getting what we deserve. But grace goes a little further. It is getting what we don't deserve. Let me illustrate this, with, illustrate this to you with a true story. Someone that I know, a Christian man a businessman, he was an owner of a business and he supplied goods and services. One of his customers, a distributor owed him thousands and thousands of dollars and was not paying him. This was causing financial hardship to the business owner, the Christian businessman. Although he was owed, for these uh, goods that he supplied, he wasn't getting paid and the man couldn't pay him. So justice, justice would have been to sue this man, bring him to court and let the legal system take its course. Mercy, mercy would have been reducing or forgiving partial, uh, the partial amount of the money that he owed. Now the grace and what we're looking at in a biblical context and what I want to communicate to you this morning in this message is what this Christian businessman did. During Christmas, he gave this man that owed him thousands of dollars and was causing financial hardship upon his business, he gave him a Christmas gift, a Christmas card with $200 cash. Now that's grace, wouldn't you say? That's grace. What we're looking at this morning in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace, the unmerited favor, the lavish love, the unconditional acceptance of our God. Because Jesus in heaven was rich, spiritually speaking, in the glory of heaven, had all of the glory of heaven. But for you and I, he laid it aside. He came to earth in the form of a baby. He came to this planet, born of a woman, and he became poor 
emptied himself of all of that greatness, all of that glory, so that you and I, through his emptying, through his humility, might become spiritually rich, that we might be blessed even as we are this morning. Can you say amen? Christmas is about God's grace, his crazy love for us, his unconditional acceptance of us. You know, you cannot make God love you any more than he already loves you today. Do you know you cannot make God love you any less? No matter what you do, God's love is unconditional. He loves us with an everlasting love. This morning we talk about when our Christmas needs grace. The reality of it is, during the Christmas season, we all become aware of some dysfunction, some brokenness, some pain, some suffering, some heartache that we all go through. If you are not experiencing any pain, suffering, or heartache, you're either very, very young and you haven't gone through anything yet, or you will be soon. The reality of it is we all live in a broken world, a fallen world that is prone to sin, that is prone to heartache, that is prone to pain. That's why our Christmas needs grace. When your Christmas needs grace, that's every Christmas, that's every day. I want to look at a few passages of scripture. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 1, and I want to tie this together. Now this might seem a little strange to you, because we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. These are the begets and the begottens. You know, there's, there's eight chapters, First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And it is all the begots. It's all the begottens. Who begot, be, begotten, by begotten, beget, and begot. Those are the passage of scriptures that we tend to what? Skip. Skip. We just tend to gloss over and read over. You might just read a few names and say, all right, chapter 9. Now, when you look at the genealogy of Christ, it's the same thing. When, we, we, when our children were young for many, many years on Christmas morning, um, we, would, we would read the Christmas story to them. But we would never read the genealogy. How many of you ever read your kid? That would be a mild form of abuse. <laughs> Reading the genealogies. But you know what? The genealogies and scriptures were very, very important and very significant. Maybe not to you and I, but biblically, they were very important because every king of Israel, to be able to sit on the throne, they had to trace their genealogy back to David. Or else they couldn't be anointed as a king. Also for the priesthood, when Ezra went back uh, to, to Israel, back to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity, when they had to reinstitute the priestly services as they rebuilt the temple, every priest had to trace their lineage back to Levi, or else they couldn't serve, because they were protecting the sanctity and, and the specialness of those offices, of those positions. So it was very, very critical in, his, in, in Jewish biblical history that that, that was intact. That, so it was very important. So when we look at the genealogy, 
we're, we're looking at the birth of Jesus and his family line, his family tree, if you will. But the, So the purpose of this message, and, and what I'm trying to communicate to you, is that the genealogies show the amazing grace of God. The genealogies show you and I God's unmerited favor, his crazy love towards sinful people, and his amazing, amazing grace. So let's take a moment. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 1 at the genealogy of Christ. Now, when you look at the genealogy, now, you would think, now, this is, this is Jesus' family tree. You know, this is Jesus' DNA. This is, you know, sending it off to... Uh, uh, what's that called, Ancestry.com, you know, to find out uh, what's in, in your family line. My wife, uh, who was adopted from birth uh, a few years ago, she sent out for, uh, was it Ancestry.com, one of those uh, websites, and sent in, what was it, your saliva or something? Anyway, so your DNA, and uh, just waiting in eager anticipation. And so what we did for our family, she had a cake, and she put all the flags upon the cake from the different nations that she was from. You were predominantly British. Oh. The queen. Chapter 1 in Matthew gives us the genealogy of Jesus. Now, when you look at it, you're going to say there's going to be some very remarkable people. There's going to be some very noteworthy, significant people in the ancestry. You know, if we were to do our family line, we'd probably, family tree, we'd probably break off a few branches. A few people that we don't necessarily want to include just, just the, the, the special ones, the remarkable ones. But when you look in the genealogy of Jesus, it's very remarkable that there are four women that are mentioned. Now, this is remarkable because generally, predominantly, in all of the genealogies throughout the Bible, women were not included. Please don't make this a sexist issue or anything. This, has not, this is just... They would trace it through the male line. But there are four women that are mentioned. And you would think these women are going to be significant. They're going to be important. They're going to be women of great character and impeccable status. Because this is the bloodline of the Savior. This is the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. No. None of them epitomize the kind of person you would expect to find in the royal lineage of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All of them, matter of fact, are outcasts. So, Pastor, you say, what's the point of this? This is Christmas. Please tell me about little baby Jesus in the manger. Because your Christmas and my Christmas needs grace. Our Christmas needs the grace of God to wash over us, to help us to, to help us to process and walk through hurt and dysfunction and pain and grief and understand that's why Jesus came. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That you and I through his poverty might become rich. So let's look at them quickly. Each one of them a sermon. The first one we see mentioned in verse 3. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Who was Tamar? You check. You can look in Genesis 38. She was married to Ur. His name was Ur. He died. So she had no ear, no one to raise up an ear and, uh, for, for her husband. So she married his brother Onan. He also died. And they were both the sons of Judah, one of the 12 patriarchs. And when Judah saw that Ur and, and Onan died at, at the hands, well, not at the hands, she didn't kill him but died while married to Tamar, he said to her, he said, well, why don't you wait? I have a younger son, and when he's old, you can marry him. But in the course of time, the younger son got old, and Judah would not allow him to marry Tamar. And that was, that was the right thing to do. He should have done it, but he didn't. So what happened? Tamar now has no one to raise up an heir. So she, what she does, she plots and she strategizes and she schemes and plans. She dresses up as a prostitute. And she goes into the same town and village that, that Judah is traveling in. And Judah goes in to his daughter-in-law. And from Tamar, two tw twins are born, Perez, Perez and Zerah. They were born out of an incestual relationship with Judah, one of the patriarchs. And here is Tamar now having two children. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a complicated mess. How do you unravel that? How do you unscramble an egg? You can't. It seems helpless. It seems hopeless. No redemption. But we know the scriptures tell us in the gospels that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know in the scriptures that Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad this morning Jesus is still a friend of sinners? You see, God is not afraid to identify with sinful people. And next we see, the next one mentioned is Rahab. We find her in Joshua, chapter 2, just before the battle of Jericho. What was Rahab known for? She was known for being not only a harlot or a prostitute, but running a house of ill repute. Not only was she a prostitute, but she probably had several working under her. She becomes the great great-grandmother of King David. Go figure. Why does this matter? Again, because it doesn't matter how low you go. By God's grace, he can pick you up and he can place you among princes and among kings. Psalm 113 says, God raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. Hallelujah. That's what grace does. Grace, grace, 
God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. We sing a hymn, one of the most beloved and well-known hymns in all of history. It's called Amazing Grace. One uh, statistic tells us that that song is sung 10 million times in one form or fashion or another every year. 10 million times, year after year. A song that comforts people in funerals, it comforts people at times of mourning, times of grief, times of suffering. Do you know the backstory? John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, was a vile, wicked man, sinful man. He was a slave trader. He would travel from Britain to Africa and subjugate slaves and sell them. This wicked man had a revelation of the grace of God. Although he was brought up by a godly mom, mother taught to read the scriptures and go to church and fear God, he got away from God for many years. Until he had a revelation, until God touched his life and saved him, and he penned those words, amazing grace that saved a wretch just like me. Amazing grace that was revealed to this man that though he had sunk so low and he had done such wicked and dastardly things that God would raise him up and make him a preacher of his gospel and a songwriter that would comfort untold millions and millions and millions of people throughout church history. Who do we see next? We see a woman called Ruth. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. She wasn't a fornicator. She wasn't a prostitute. She was a Gentile, a non-Jew. She was a Moabite. In the Jewish law, at that time, no Moabite shall enter the courts of the Lord. But once again, we see the grace of God. Once again, we see Ruth becoming the great-grandmother of King David. You see, it doesn't matter where you came from. What tribe, what culture, what nation, what family. It doesn't matter how mixed up and messed up your family tree is. You could have bad fruit on it. You could have knots in your family tree. But look what God can do through his amazing grace. When you repent of your sins, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are accepted by God in Christ. And Jesus breaks down the wall of division. Galatians tells us there's no Jew, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female, slave, nor free, rich or poor. All are one in Jesus Christ. The last woman that's mentioned, not even mentioned by name, he or her who had been the wife of Uriah. Found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I think some of us know the story. She was married to one of David's mighty men, Uriah. Uriah was out fighting the battles of the, of the Lord, of the people of God. And David was at home. And he caught a glimpse of Bathsheba. And he desired her. And the Bible says he called for her. He slept with her. He slept with a woman that was married to another man. She became pregnant. So David tried to cover up his sin, wasn't able to do it in a discreet way. So he has Uriah killed and he takes Bathsheba as his wife. Again, what a mess. 
You say, Pastor, this is Sunday morning. Why are we talking about all of these sordid details? Because that's where you and I live. We don't live in this pure, holy world. We live in a sick, sin world that has become so convoluted and so mixed up and so messed up and so scrambled that we need God's grace. We need the grace of God in a fresh revelation to ourselves, to our hearts and our minds, to bring healing to our brokenness. Can you say amen? You see, only God could remove the shame and the guilt through his grace and cover it. And here this woman, who was the wife of Uriah, becomes the mother of Solomon, the wisest man that ever walked the earth, the one who built the great temple the first temple of the Lord. So the question is, what does grace have to do with it? Everything. You see, this is the genealogy. I just read the first few verses, but if we go down and we, and we look, and it says in verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. So the question is, when we look at the genealogy of the Christmas story, what is on display is not kings, is not queens, it's not great and noble people, but what is on display is God's amazing grace. God in this genealogy is communicating to you and I his love, his grace, his acceptance to us in this sin-sick world that no matter how far we go, no matter how low we go, God's grace goes even deeper and further to lift us up and to change us. Your failure is not final your failure is not the end of the story. God is still writing your story. Can you say amen? You see, God can pick us up. He can dust us off. And he can make us into a new person with a new identity and a new status. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And this morning, that same grace that is evidently displayed, so wonderfully displayed in the genealogies, it's available today. The Bible says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, let us come confidently to the throne of grace that we might receive grace and mercy in time of need. Hallelujah. Can you understand this morning, or do you understand this morning that Christ can relate to you and I? If your family tree has some damaged fruit, Jesus says, I understand. If you are the victim of gossip, lies, and scandal, Jesus says, I've been there. Amen. To the lonely, to the rejected, to the fatherless, Jesus says, I know what you are going through. Amen. You see, God's grace can lift you up 
when everyone else is letting you down. God's grace can heal your brokenness from your past. God's grace can enable you to go places you never thought you could go. Hallelujah. God's grace can make you secure in who God created you to be. You are an original. Don't be a bad copy of somebody else. Be who God created you to be. Be your original, yourself. God truly, you know, we used to say about somebody when they, when they bothered us or when they, we didn't like them, oh, we're glad God broke the mold. But God did break the mold when he made you, amen. <laughs> Thank God he did. He broke the mold. You're an original. And even though you failed, even though you made mistakes, even though you did, did, you did things you never thought you would do, God's grace is still amazing. Hallelujah. As I conclude, there's a true story. I want you to listen to this. It's a powerful, powerful story. There's a true story of an attorney who, after studying several scriptures, decided to cancel the death of his clients who had, who had owed him money over six months. So he drafted a letter explaining his decision in its biblical basis, and he sent, he sent out 17 debt-canceling letters by certified mail. So we have this lawyer who is owed money by 17 of his clients. They had not paid, they had not responded, He's studying the scriptures, and he decides to release their debt. He's going to forgive their debt. So he sends out this letter, 17 letters, certified mail. 16 of them return unsigned, unaccepted. Why? Because the clients refused to sign for them and open the letters they were afraid that the attorney was suing them for their debt. So in their fear, they ended up running away from forgiveness. And isn't that what mankind does? Isn't that what you and I do sometimes? We run away from God, his forgiveness, his grace, because we don't realize his arms are wide open. He loves us. He's longing for us. He wants us to come. And all of our brokenness, all of our failure, all of our sin, well, you say, well, I should be further along. You say, well, I, it's been many years. I shouldn't have done that. But God's love still reaches out to us. His grace is still amazing. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, COVID, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There is no shadow he won't light up. There is no mountain he won't climb up coming after us. There is no wall he won't kick down. No lie he won't tear down coming after us. Hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet? Would you give God a praise right now? Would you give God a thanksgiving right now? Come on, thank God for his grace.
Come on, thank God for his grace for your family. Come on, there's grace for our children. There's grace for our grandchildren. There's grace for our relatives. There's grace for our community. There's grace for our nation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace this Christmas, God. Thank you that our Christmas, it needs grace, oh God. God, lavish your grace upon your people this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. We thank you for the grace of God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Come on, just receive it. Come on, don't be like those people who wouldn't sign that certified letter because they were afraid of, 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 of being sued. They were being released. Come on, we're being released this morning. There's forgiveness. There's grace. God loves you. Come on, accept it right now. Receive it right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, come on. I'm accepted. Come on, it don't matter what people said. I'm highly favored. It don't matter what people say. I'm beloved. Hallelujah. I'm a child of the living God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let the grace of God wash over you this morning. Come on, let the grace of God wash over you today. Come on, let the love of God wash over you. Let it refresh you. Let it renew you. Come on, receive it this morning in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We're going to sing just one song, one chorus. And I want to just invite you up to the front this morning. Come on, that, that, that letter, that certified letter from heaven. Come on, it's the Bible. And all we have to do is open it up and read. Your debt is forgiven. Grace is yours. Healing is yours. Come on, we just read the genealogy of Jesus to see there was a Tamar, there was a Rahab, there was a Ruth, there was a, a, a Bathsheba, there was a sordid uh, line, a tale of, of all this evil, but God put it in the scriptures to let you and I know there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is grace. God can still take our sin, He can still take our mess and bring forth a glorious message. Would you just come and receive that? Come on, there are some of you. I want to invite you to come. God's bidding you to come. He's asking you to open up your heart, open up your, your spirit and say, I receive you. I accept your grace. I accept your forgiveness this morning. Come on, as, as the team begins to sing, I want you to move out of your seat. I want you to come after this song, we'll pray.